Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 232 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start the show this week with a quote from that wonderful man, Nelson Mandela. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey! I hope you're good and managing to stay safe and well wherever you are in the world. It's great to be with you again. And as ever, thank you so much for choosing to listen to The Speaking Club today. Before we head into the meat and potatoes of the show, I wanted you uh, to know that my new Nail Your Signature Talk Blended program is now live. That's my little fanfare, though it sounded more like something off of Scooby-Doo. Anyway, if you want to start leveraging the massive opportunity that speaking offers to reach more people and grow your business and brand and authority and all that good stuff, then this will be for you. In just 60 days or less, you will have a talk that will not just engage and inspire your audience, but will also move them to action. That's the way it's designed. That's why I'm a sparketing coach, blending speaking and marketing and not just presentation coaches. It's not just about the speaking skills, it's about the content as well. And that is guaranteed. Cool. Well, if you want to find out more about that and get started, then you can do that over at saraharcher.co.uk slash nail your talk. There's a bonus in there as well. Brilliant guarantee, but go and have a look. Check it out. Right. Enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. Now, as you will know, many people suffer from performance anxiety and it can get in your way if you want to speak to grow your business. But stage fright can have a whole other level of impact if your business is performing. That's the situation that singer-songwriter Elisa DiNapoli found herself in. She spent a number of years trying a whole host of different remedies to overcome her fears, but none of them worked. In the end, she found the answer right in front of her nose. Now, Elisa is a best-selling author of the book, online course and podcast, Dare to be Seen, which helps artists command the stage, magnify their presence and defeat those stage nerves so that they can share their gifts with the audience and shine their light in the world. She is an artist coach, a hypnotherapist and a multi-instrumentalist singer-songwriter. She goes by the name of Elisa Volpez, for her music and she's produced 12 albums all with a focus on inner transformation through sometimes dark and atmospheric and sometimes comedic storytelling 
Well, she sounds like perfect for this show, doesn't she? With the old storytelling. And uh, on top of all that, she's been featured on radio, podcast, blogs and online magazines. And of course, today she's with us here on The Speaking Club. So no more chit chat from me. Let's head over to the interview right now. Welcome to The Speaking Club, Elisa DiNapoli. It's a pleasure to be here. Cool. I'm really now you're in New Zealand. We're sort of opposite points of the earth and it's in the evening your time and it's in the morning my time. So have you had a good day? Yeah, it's been very busy actually today. So I can't complain, but not busy in a bad way, just busy in a you know interesting way. Cool. And it's winter where you are and we're having a heat wave in the UK, which is interesting. And uh, and I can see behind you that that looks very much like a music room slash recording studio. Which leads me into my first question, which is that you've released, as I understand it, 12 albums, 12 music albums. And I wanted, first of all, to ask if you could tell me about your journey as a singer-songwriter. Sure, yes. Um, It's been a long journey and it's had many twists and turns. I've started uh, in a place where I uh, would really just write music that was quite folky, um, very much influenced by the English uh, folk music of the 70s and um, and also the traditional folk music of the British Isles. And then um, also by the storytelling traditions of the Italian singer-songwriters. So very much lyric-based. And I was at the beginning um, just playing by myself. And then I got into slightly heavier sounds. Uh, at the time, I didn't know that I was making basically goth music. Um, I had a, I, my following was pretty much uh, the the goths of uh, of New Zealand. I but I was very young and I, I I was dressed as a goth. I made music that was basically goth, but I went typically around saying I am not a goth. So <laughs> that took me then to um, the UK where I had different bands that were more rock, uh, but more like folk rock. And there I uh, pretty much started a different genre as well. I kind of moved from the melancholic and dark into comedy, uh, which might seem strange, but I think, you know, tears and laughter are two sides of the same coin. So I thought, I'm a bit sick of crying. Let's laugh for a bit now. (laughs) And then from there, I went back to being solo uh, because mainly because you know bands are hard to to keep you know there's always somebody going somebody coming it's, it's very difficult to like coordinate so in the end I thought oh maybe it's just easier to be a solo artist and then as I came back um, also there's there's a bit of a side projects as well that were more like electronic uh, experimental collaborations with other people because I've always also been a fan of that atmospheric electronic music. And then finally, as I came back to uh, New Zealand, I went back to a little bit to my roots again. I started writing music that is kind of not goth, but uh, a little darker, uh, mainly for uh, horror films, like trying to to write for sync, you know, and um, for TV shows that are that I like, and they happen to be kind of dark stuff. So I was like, all right, okay, can do that. But I'm still doing, you know, comedy. I'm still doing 
uh, but I'm playing the piano now rather than the guitars. And also in this meanwhile, I also uh, played drums for seven years. So I kind of fell in love with different instruments at the moment. The, the one that really is, I really find satisfying is the piano. So I've, I've come a bit a full circle. Well, you have. And did you always want to be a musician? Is it, was it your sort of childhood dream? Was, or was there anything else? Did you sort of fall into it? How did you get into it? Yeah, I started uh, singing very young uh, because I just loved cartoons. Um, and I lo- like as a child, six years old, I, I had this tape recorder and I would press play and record my favorite opening credits songs from cartoons. And I would learn all of the lyrics. And I remember thinking, oh, I want to be a cartoon singer when I grew up. I want to grow up. <laughs> and so that was one thing. The other thing that got me into music was uh, I was um, into poetry. I, I used to write a lot uh, of poetry and short stories. And I got to a point where I even I got invited to a competition. And then I just thought, you know what? Uh, nobody cares about poetry. I, I mean, I'm I'm very glad that Poetry is actually becoming again something that people read and 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 performance poetry is is a bit of a thing, you know, now. But when back in the day, it was really niche. And so I thought, oh, wait a minute, maybe I can marry music with poetry and actually write lyrics instead, like write songs. And that's how I kind of went into it. And then it became something that I can't really live without. <laughs> Excellent. And and you've already sort of mentioned that you've been to the UK, to to New Zealand, but you have that lovely accent. You're from Italy originally. So how yes. come you, you left Italy? What was the story there? Oh, God, you know, I should write a book about it. Uh, but uh, when I was 14, I was I was deeply aware of the fact that I wanted to leave because I felt the world is such a big place and never before in history well you know not everybody can travel but in the moment you know when I was 14 I thought well I have this opportunity to travel and just because I was born here doesn't mean I have to live here I want to see the world so I decided that that was going to happen I told my parents that by the time I was 18 I was going to leave and I was just going to explore the world but they beat me to it. They um, announced when they, I was 16 that they would move to New Zealand when I became uh, you know, of age. So I was like, okay, well, you go to New Zealand, I'll go to Scotland and see you later. <laughs> and, then, and then it kind of, you know, uh, all kinds of drama happened, usually to do with relationships. I, I ran a... Um, I, I fell in love with people on all kinds of places in the world and, and you know, followed them. And then finally, um, one day I decided I'm not going to follow any man anymore. I'm going to decide where I want to live because of what I want, you know. Um, so I've been traveling back and forth, back and forth and lived 12 years in New Zealand, 12, uh, 10 years in Scotland and um, 18 years in Italy. Wow. Okay, cool. And I, I like that. Yeah. Live your life for you rather than someone else. It, it takes us a time to work these things out, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Cool. yes. Excellent. Now, one of the things that was fascinating, and, and I know that it's an issue that, an issue that you help other artists with, but you suffered from stage fright. 
And I wondered if you could share how you, how that manifested itself and what impact it had on your music and performing. Yeah, it had a huge impact. It manifested itself um, in the guise of nervousness before a gig, uh, compulsive practicing to the point of not enjoying it at all. Uh, and, and also really not enjoying performing. I would go on stage and basically try to be some kind of automaton that never gets anything wrong with no expression and worry all the time about what other people are thinking and interpreting people's behavior as a proof that I'm not good enough. Oh, that guy over there, you know, is just left the room. Oh, he must think I'm terrible. You know, never mind that maybe he just went to, to the bathroom or answered a phone call. No, 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 no. It's all to do with me. And then after a gig, I would fret over all the mistakes because I, I knew I was disappointed that my performance was just not very good and I could do so much better. And it annoyed me you know and I would go around if somebody came to me and said oh that was great I'd be like no nah, it wasn't <laughs> that was terrible I can do so much better and, and people were looking at me like what you know I knew I shouldn't say that but I, that's how I felt and and so for many for, for many years I um I didn't know what to do about it to be honest I tried drinking wine of course that's not a good idea um i would forget lyrics and forget chords and at one point i had to leave a gig in the middle of it because i just forgot what the song was even though i knew the song really well it was so humiliating you know at the time i mean now i laugh about it but at the time it wasn't fun and so you know i tried uh beta blockers as well but the beta blockers they made it possible for me to perform, but I felt like lifeless. You know, I felt like I was perform, you know, performing with no feeling, uh, very, very passionless, which is really not me. And I, I tried going to improv classes and although they were a lot of fun and I learned a lot, I learned how to talk to the audience, which was great, but, uh, you know, it didn't, it didn't cure me. So I didn't know what to do. Basically what happened in the end is that I this, I decided, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I just don't have what it takes. Maybe I should just give up. And I got to that point where I was ready to give up. And that's when I thought, realized that, that that was not an option, you know, uh, that I might as well cut my arm off and, and be miserable for the rest of my life. So I thought I can't do that. I have to try harder, you know, uh, and I need help as well. Like, I can't do this by myself because I've tried and tried and it's just not happening. So what happened in the end is that I, um, I had this moment, which is pretty obvious, you know, now that I think about it, of this light bulb moment. I was, uh, and I still am a hypnotherapist and I was using hypnosis all the time with my clients. But it just didn't occur to me for some strange reason to use hypnotherapy. And so... I went to another hypnotherapist and said, look, this is my problem. Can you help? And the guy said, yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, and he did a couple of sessions, which really, they did help. They say, you know, sort of 70%. And then I thought, okay, well, this is just one guy. So maybe I need to go and go to other hypnotherapists and see what else is there. And so I did. And and by doing that, I discovered the different techniques, the different you know perspectives and what could be done. And it actually worked, you know, it actually worked. And then I thought, well, I have to try this with my clients, you know, and see if this works with them. And it actually did. And 
And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? You know, all these years, just, I could have just gone to a hypnotherapist and instead I tried all these things that don't work. So that's basically how um, it all changed. But the most important thing that the hypnotherapist did was to give me a model for what it is like to be someone who actually enjoys being on stage rather than is scared, you know, because if you don't know what, you're aiming for how can you get there not possible cool that's brilliant well I'm going to come back to that but I want to back up just a little bit so tell me about the hypnotherapy you said you've been practicing for a while so how did you get into that what made you go down that road and I'm assuming it's something I guess like I do so I have a business and we produce theater because unfortunately being an artist and a performer is tough you know to make a, a good living at sometimes so we have to what to do both yeah so it, that is a fascinating story i guess uh, i mean at the moment what i what i've pivoted to is i use hypnosis with coaching which i feel is even better um but um how i started is i went to uni as a i, w- I was uh, interested always in philosophy so i started studying philosophy uh western philosophy i also had done the college um so then I thought, okay, yes, Western philosophy is very interesting, but what about Eastern philosophy? So then from Eastern philosophy, um, I encountered a very dif- different perspective because it's all about happiness and how to live well. And also there's a um, mention of the, the spiritual um, God, if you like, you know, it doesn't have to be God as, you know, someone in the sky or they're judging us, but more like, you know, uh, the divine. And so I thought, oh, this is very strange. You know, this is not, I'm a rash- I was a rationalist at this didn't quite understand and so I decided I need to study this so I started studying comparative religion and uh, specifically spiritual uh, mysticism and from that I I went into oh okay so there's this state uh, this state of consciousness in which we go that is not normal it's not like the daily state of consciousness that we uh, encounter in our in our daily affairs so what is this state how do we get there and from there i started studying like the different ways of getting there and i discovered shamanism and i was like oh so this is an altered state of consciousness that's very very old like people are used have been using this forever um and is there any modern equivalent and i thought ah oh, it's it's basically an hypnotic state oh wow okay so the hypnotherapists are kind of like the modern day shamans in some way, but without the supernatural kind of element. And I thought that's really, really interesting. And I was going to be a professor, you know, I was going to go into, into academics, but then I thought I don't like academics because it's, I was very idealistic and I wanted, you know, I love learning, uh, but I wasn't really into academia than the world, you know? And, uh, and so I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to become self-employed and, um, and I'm going to go into hypnotherapy because I'm fascinated with psychology as well. That's another thing I was always really interested in. I also was doing therapy uh, for myself, you know? Um, so it seemed like the best thing to, to get into. And there's, and, you know, music and psychology in, for me, um, they have in common this, they're both about e- healing and personal development because, you know, you can't actually be, well, you can't be a really good performer if you haven't developed, you know, grown as a person for a start. But also music can help you to 
to grow and to heal. So they they work on this, uh, you know they're parallel for me. Excellent! Wow, so it's it's been uh, it's been a really interesting journey, and I love all of those things are really interesting, and I like the way you're comparing the the sort of hypnotherapist sort of as modern day shamans. That's really interesting. Okay, so you've got to the point. Where are we in the sort of timeline of your life? You'd been around to these hypnotherapists, and you'd got some tools and a, and a framework. I think you said for managing this stage fright and the anxiety. And I guess underneath that also, what it sounds like to me was this perfectionist uh, in you that was probably generating all of this stuff. So what age were you? Where, where are we in your life journey at this point? Okay, I think at this point, I'm not very good with timelines, but I think it was about possibly six years ago, maybe okay, slightly, cool. maybe slightly uh, more, but or maybe seven years ago, something like that. Yeah. Um, that's when when this happened and then you know very then unfortunately you know when i got really good at it when i got i started feeling like oh god yeah actually now like i'm not just coping but i am actually enjoying this i'm actually getting it more and more and more it was just before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit <laughs> and it was like damn just when i really really like i had hit that place where I thought, ah, yeah, you know, I'm now a professional, like I can actually do this as a job. Like I feel like a professional now, not like an imposter anymore. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And then the pandemic happened and it kind of set me back quite Mm. a bit. Mm. Um, The the only thing that helped was that I started doing a lot of interviews and I started, uh, you know, I used to have a podcast as well. Um, I stopped just because it was too much for me, but I, at the beginning of that, I was quite nervous. And now it's like easy peasy, you know, just because I do it all the time. <laughs> it gets that way. So, so what, tell me, take me back. So you'd got this framework and you, they'd shown you basically what you were aiming for. So what it would look like if you enjoyed being a performer, were there other things, what, what sort of practical things were you doing to be able to get to that point? Um, so one of the main things that I think is really important before you can change how you think about performance is you need to actually calm your nervous system because if you are, if, if you're in a state of fight or flight, which is basically when our, um, you know, reptile brain is involved, um, and our emotional brain is involved, we can't be rational. So having a mindset, you know, talking to ourselves in a positive way is very important. But if you are having a panic attack, it's just not going to cut through. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing is to realize when you're having this, um, this reaction, this real physical reaction, and I know what to do to stop that or prevent it even you know the other then once you've done that um then it's it's easier to actually start imagining and creating a different mindset but the other element as well that often gets overlooked um is that you also need to 
look at anything in the past that might have been conditioning you, uh, especially if, you know, traumatic events, things that have convinced you that performances are dangerous, you know, dangerous in the sense that they're threatening you with rejection, which is, you know, very important for human beings. You don't want to be rejected. So for me, I had to actually understand it more because I, I didn't understand it for a long time. I was thinking, you know, why, what's wrong? You know, what, why can't, why do I even panic? I don't even know. Right. Um, but then when I went back, we, again, with the hypnotherapist, because this is kind of difficult to do on your own, if you're not aware of it. Um, what I, what I found is that I, yes, no, I actually, I was quite shy as a teenager, which didn't help, but then I had this experiences where I froze and you know I felt humiliated and maybe I wasn't humiliated but you know I felt that way and so that was a tag that my brain attached to mm. performance and and so I started panicking oh what if I forget the words that was the main thing what if I forget the words because in that time when I was 16 I forgot the word like I was in this big arena and sorry in a bit in this big um school assembly somebody had just played a led zeppelin song maybe i'm gonna leave you i was like so touched i was like almost in tears i was like oh my god this is the most beautiful music and and i raised my hand and and i demanded in front of 300 people i i need to say something i need to say something <laughs> they gave me the microphone and the moment they gave me the microphone i panicked and i just forgot what i was gonna say and everybody's like was looking at me going so what was so urgent what were you gonna say and i was like Ah, I don't know. I don't know that I just couldn't say anything, and everybody laughed, you know. And you know, when you're 16, this is a big deal. Well, there's, there's always something, isn't there, that, that sort of triggers it that we don't. It's that, it's that in the shadows that sometimes we're just not even aware of the impact of one little event. Well, it's quite a big event, but what that does to our future and it writes the future for us. So it is about clearing that. And you know, there's some great things that you you mentioned there. And so how did you know that you'd beaten the stage fright? What was the moment that you thought, I've done this now? I, I feel, you know, you mentioned that you felt like a professional, the imposter syndrome had gone. So what, where, where were you and when did you know that? I was in Glasgow and I, it was a gig and I just forgot everything except for what I was doing you know I was like in the present moment not thinking about the audience these that what are they thinking nothing I was just singing my song totally 100% in the feeling of the music expressing myself uh, you know expressing how I felt without any rational thought and so it was this amazing experience where I almost felt like uh, I was a channel to the music, if if that makes sense. And so it was flowing through me. I didn't have to do anything. It was just happening automatically. And, um, and that actually made a lot of sense because I remember many, many, many years before talking to a therapist, um, uh, uh, she said, oh, you know, the American Indians think of the artist as a hollow reed. And it's because, like a hollow reed, the the music flows through the the reed that's hollow. You know, it's not about you at all. In fact, get, you need to get out. You know, the ego needs to not be in the picture. So that time afterwards, I felt almost as if the 
the the time had flown, you know, it, it was like a second, split second, and the music was over, and I didn't want to stop. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's re- and that's really interesting as well because I, I say in in relation to speaking that you're the vehicle for the message, and it's not about you. Your your personality is important and all of that stuff, but it is it's it's, it's really interesting. Oh, I love that story about the hollow reed. That really resonates. That's great. So you're really in flow in the present moment not past or future, which is where all the pain comes from. And yeah, that's brilliant. And so, so you've been on this journey since to help uh, use the things that you discovered that helped you to help other people do the same thing and find that freedom in their, in their art or their performance or their speaking or whatever. And so what just right now, what would you say are your three big tips for managing stage fright. So I guess that in the moment panic, and then perhaps another bit that will help people look a bit more deeply into it. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you already hit what I was going to say anyway. So the, the, the two things that I would suggest people do uh, to prevent or stop the panic when it happens. Uh, one, you might know the other, you might not know. So the first one is, believe it or not, aerobic exercise. Now, I don't mean like jazz uh, dancing. I just mean engaging your body so that your heart rate goes up. So, for example, running up and down the stairs a bunch of times, uh, dancing to your favorite record, uh, doing jumping jacks, you know, whatever is going to make you have your heart rate go up and for for a few minutes like you need to actually feel like uh, like kind of like this um there is a reason that i can explain for that if you like me to but let's also talk about first the second one so first is aerobic exercise the second one is after you've done that or instead of uh, that you could do diaphragmatic breathing. So diaphragmatic breathing is when you breathe through your nose and have your mouth closed. That's really important. And you breathe through your nose. So you take a deep breath. Maybe you count to four, you hold the breath for a second, and then you breathe out for longer than the in-breath. So for example, you may be counting to eight, but you need to do this for five minutes. A lot of people do it for like a second or two, and it doesn't work. It needs to be for five minutes. So number one, aerobic exercise. Number two, diaphragmatic breathing. Number three, once you've got these down, and you, you know, there's another little sneaky one I'll put in number three, 2.5 is that you, you can ground yourself, meaning, you know, you can visualize your feet being like roots of a tree going into the ground, having a sphere of power, if you like, like a globe of light around you. There's really, um, with your power center, uh, just below your belly button. And that's a place of power where you can breathe in calm and breathe out and remain in tension, a good visualization. That's where you can then start talking to yourself in a positive way. So for affirmations, suggestions where you say to yourself in the present tense, what you want to experience and you leave out negative stuff. So you don't, you leave out like the, I don't, I will not, or anything like that. It needs to be, I am already, you know, I am uh, confident, you know, and the idea is here that because a lot of people 
have got a problem with this and they're like, but I'm not confident. You know, I don't want to say that. I don't want to lie to myself. And the, the idea is this, when you say these things, you are basically communicating to your subconscious mind what you want it to do for you, not, not what was in the past, right? So it's kind of like you want to drive the car. And if, if you were driving a car, you want to look into the, the windscreen in front of you. You don't want to drive a car looking at the rear view mirror, right? Because you're going to crash. So, <laughs> so the affirmations are about what you want to create. That might not yet be um, a reality, but you want to create it. You want to connect to your emotional brain, not your rational brain here. You want to leave the rational brain outside and connect to your emotional brain, which is the one who's been having the trouble anyway, right? So replacing the old negative conditioning, the old negative uh, talk with positive talk that is encouraging and that, help, that helps you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I love that stuff. And I love, uh, I love the metaphors you use. That's a, those are some lovely, I love the, you got to drive forward. That's a brilliant one. And um, I know that Tony Robbins has a trumpet that he keeps backstage before he goes on to speak and perform. And I guess he's trying to do that aerobic tool. Uh, he's accessing that. So do tell me what is the thinking behind that? Cause I'm cute. I'm always loving learning like you and curious so to, if, if you can share that. I'd, I'd love to know. So the love, the learning behind what exactly? The aerobic, uh, oh, the aerobic exercise. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. Um, yes. So the, uh, the reason why this works is because if you think about it, when you were, when we were uh, back in the day um, in danger of being eaten by a lion, we needed to be very, very quick at understanding whether this um, this danger was going was a real danger or not. Right? We didn't have the time to like have a nuanced thinking of, oh, is this lion gonna kill me or not? Is this a real situation? No. Like immediately, you'd be like black and white, life or death. I'm gonna run away, or I'm gonna fight this lion, or I'm gonna pretend I'm dead. Okay, those are the options. And when that happens, your amygdala, which is the alarm center of the brain is activated, which means that your sympathetic nervous system is activated. Now we, um, after the danger is passed, so after you had killed the lion or run away from the lion or pretended you were dead and the lion went, uh, the danger would be over. And that's when you would relax in your cave, fall asleep and celebrate the fact that you're still alive. Um, and in that moment, you're parasympathetic nervous system would be engaged, right? In between, you would have uh, cortisol and, and adrenaline pumped into your system to help you fight that lion or run away from that lion. You'd have to engage in aerobic exercise, in other words, right? So how would your body know that you're no longer in danger? Well, when you're not engaging in aerobic exercise because the lion isn't there anymore, so you're going to sleep, right? So that's like a, a, a a way for your amygdala to know, oh, we're relaxing now, the danger is over. But the, th the thing is that if you don't engage in aerobic exercise, you say you go on stage and you, you don't do anything physical, but you're having this panic response, the adrenaline and the cortisol have nowhere to go 
And they're going to create havoc in your body. You're going to create all kinds of things, you know, throat dry, shivering, uh, you name it. And and so the, the aerobic exercise is basically helping you to give that message to the amygdala that, yes, there was a danger, but now it's over, right? I love that. So basically you're tricking your subconscious into like, we've done it, we've killed it. We're all good now. We can just crack on and perform and be in flow. I love that. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. I love stuff like that. That's brilliant. That's why you want the diaphragmatic breathing after as well, because that is the continuation of that. Saying, okay, now we can relax. Okay, cool. Now you and I share another thing that we uh, both want our clients to do, which is to show up authentically. And I wondered if you could share your biggest tip for, I don't know if we've, we might have already covered something along these lines, but if there's anything else that you can share um, to help people show up authentically when they perform. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me is about connecting to your core values, you know, connecting to what you care about. And, um, and so one of the ways that uh, sometimes it can be um, useful to think about this in order to figure out what actually are your core values uh, is to ask yourself, okay, when you walk into the room feeling like your best self, uh, who are you for other people in the room? You know, what kind of energy do you bring naturally? What kind of personality? Um, what are they getting out of you being there and not someone else? So for example, you know, you're walking in and people are like, oh, she's here. Now I get to feel dot, dot, dot. You know, what is it? Do they feel really, really calm? Do they feel really excited? Do they feel inspired? You know, what is it? And so that's who you are authentically, right? So if you embody that quality when you are on stage, then for sure you're being you. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I like that. And again, I, it's another, it's an angle I haven't heard before in terms of actually thinking about, you know, we, I, I talk about people having a message, but I don't uh, often talk about how people want, well, I, I think a little bit how, but how you want people to feel like that's a really good tip for people to think about. And that also then gets you back into that channel thing that you were talking about, where it's not about you, it's about other people and your audience, which is which is always good to shine the spotlight on what we want our audience to feel. So that's a really good tip. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's great. Now, this is probably a silly question, to be honest, but I know you use storytelling in your songs. I watched some and listened to some of your music and watched the videos and um the one I saw was the frontline one. That was good. I mean, I know you, I can tell you've used metaphors and analogies just in our conversation today, but do you find yourself using storytelling a lot in not just in your performance, but, you know, interviews that you do as well? Um, yes, I use storytelling all the time. Um, it's quite funny. Like many years ago, I, I went to art school and I got to do a little presentation uh, that day, just the first day of art school. And the, uh, the director came in and see, I'm doing it now. <laughs> the director, I'm not even doing it on purpose. The director came in and went, oh, you're a storyteller. And I was like, what? Completely, completely baffled. I was like, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? Um, but I guess it comes natural to me and um, I use my storytelling all the time 
Um, but especially uh, in, okay, so I was a performer, I use it in between uh, songs quite a lot. I like to, to get a song and to kind of weave a story between one song and another, and then a, a bit of a narrative so that the show has is more than oh yeah this is a song i wrote last night and yeah i hope you like it you know it's kind of boring like but if instead you're like okay i wrote this song because of this and and then maybe there's a theme and then maybe you explore the theme a little bit more in the next song and i like to do that um the other way that i use it is with my clients quite a lot you know and when i coach or when i do any um, hypnosis based coaching or hypnotherapy Stories are very important because that's how we naturally evolve around the campfire, you know, telling each other stories at night. It's really an atavic thing for human beings. We need it. And, uh, and it's the best way to remember concepts as well. Stories and pictures, that's the way to, to really get to someone's emotional center, much more than rational uh, thought as much as I love rational thought it is the you know the new kid on the block so there's nothing's going to be a story <laughs> that's brilliant that's brilliant that's cool and and I guess a sort of final question before we go into my standard questions is how important do you think it is for musicians and artists to be confident communicators well, this is the thing, whatever the artist or musician or performer it feels on stage, the audience is going to feel on stage. It's just the way it is. So if you're really uncomfortable or nervous, you're going to make your audience really uncomfortable or nervous. And, and the problem with that is that they might miss your song completely or your message completely because all they are saying is, you being really nervous and uncomfortable. So that's a shame because you're not there to do that, are you? You're there to, because you love, presumably you love making music or you love, if you're a speaker, you know, you, you, want, you have a, a message you want to uh, express. So if instead all that's expressed is your nervousness, people are missing out and you, and you are not doing your job, you know, very well. And, and, and so that's a shame. The song or the meaning can be lost. So that's very important, I think. Absolutely. And I think I think also to add to that, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that also people love to see the personality come through as in between numbers, like you said, you know, and, and being able to tell a story and show your personality because poor people fall in love with the artist as well as their music. And I think if you're holding back because you're nervous. You're, and you're not being fully expressed, then you miss that connection that will build loyal fans more than just the music. Do, do you think that's right? Yeah, I, I, but I think it's because, you know, you said people fall in love with the performer, but I think they do because they're projecting on the performer who they want to be. So, uh -huh. you know, if you're a performer that's super free and super themselves, whatever that may be, you are actually a walking permission slip for them to do the same. You're basically saying, hey, it's okay to have, to be vulnerable. It's okay to, to, to be weird. You know, we don't all have to be the same. Uh, and so you're giving them permission to also be weird and a little bit, you know, off the wall. Um, I think that's my my opinion on this, you know. So if you don't do that, then you're basically saying you're being just as repressed as they are and they want a way out 
Excellent. Okay. So thank you for sharing all of those great tips and for bringing your authentic self to this show. Um, I will come back and ask where people can find out more about you and if they want to work with you or see your music and something. But before that, I have some standard questions. So the first question is, this is obviously the speaking club. What's the best thing that speaking has done for you? Well, I've been speaking on podcasts a lot. uh, So that's my main platform. And the best thing it's done for me is basically get me clients. You know, I've had actually amazing people that I work with just because they heard me on a podcast and they happen to be the kind of person I actually love to work with. And I think there's nothing better than actually looking forward to seeing your client rather than dreading it. (laughs) So it's (laughs) also, it's given me an opportunity to spread ideas that I think are important and not just for me, but for other people as well. So those are probably the, the two main things. Cool. And we may have covered this already, but I, I do want to ask, um, have you ever had a gig or speaking gig where you just like, oh my goodness, that was so bad. I wish I could like forget about it and never, never have to sort of revisit that memory again. Has that happened to you? Oh, Maybe yeah, many besides times. the 60, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think one of the, I mean, not, this is probably not the worst, but it probably talk about it because it makes a point is um, after a really good gig, super good gig I had at the Edinburgh Fringe with my band, I where I was telling jokes and everybody was having fun. I was super, you know, super comedy, like unexpected comedy came out of my mouth. I went home and I decided, oh, great. I'm going to write all the jokes down. And tomorrow I'm going to do the show again and say exactly the same thing. And I did. And it was a total flop. <laughs> and the, re- the reason is because, of course, it was just not in the moment. You know, I was like trying to manufacture something spontaneous. Oh, I love I love that. And fringe is interesting. Every audience, isn't it? It's completely different to to the next one. It's so eclectic in terms of what you what who turns up and what you get. That's lovely. Okay. Now, next question is what is the book that's had most impact on your life and why? Oh, there's quite a few, but um maybe the most impactful would be A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, he's just a wonderful person. <laughs> and and I it's a book that I re- read a long time ago and then I went back to and I went back to and every few years I just go back to it and discover more and understand it more. Um, so it never stops giving. Wow, I've read The Power of Now, but I haven't read that book. So what what's the difference between The Power of Now and that book? And was it before or I presume after? After, after. Um, mm-hmm. It's easier to read. Uh, it's I read both, but the power of now um, has got some exercises and I always get stuck on book books with exercises on them because I feel like, oh, I have to do this exercise really well before I can move on. Like you said, you know, the perfectionist. It's your perfectionist. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I get stuck and just don't go anywhere. It's like, oh. <laughs> Um, whereas the new earth is, is much more, um, which, like you said, is, it's more storytelling based. It's, well, you know, it doesn't only have stories, but it's, uh, it, it, it really explains the concepts 
in a very easy way that's that's clear um so i'm not saying don't don't read the power of now but it's it's different and that's more accessible i'd say yeah well, that's cool yeah power of now is great i will have a look at that and see um can have a read of that one it sounds it sounds good and we'll put a link in the show notes to that book as well okay penultimate question what's the best bit of business advice you've had and why oh best bit of business advice um let me think <laughs> oh actually yes um it's probably about failure you know, about failure and how failure is your companion and is going to be, if you want to be successful in business, you need to fail a few times and be okay with it and actually use it for your own benefit. You know, see, okay, what, why have I, it's basically just feedback, you know, it's saying to you, you didn't get the results you wanted. Why not? what did you do that didn't work what could you do different next time so it's like uh, adopting a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset so you know it's not that I am not capable it's just that I didn't have I didn't use the right strategy I didn't have the right tools you know what is it that I need to improve so it's actually a really useful um, way to look at failure and I, I think it's really helped me actually because like everybody I've had my my share of failures it's true. It's, it's the best teacher sometimes failure. And there's a lesson that we need to learn uh, in order to move forward. So that's really cool. Okay. So last question. If you could have one mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Oh, I am. I've got two, but I think maybe one of them is going to win this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the moment, the one person I am absolutely, uh, I think it's amazing, is um, a couples therapist called Terry Rio. He, he is a, uh, the founder of the Relational Life Institute, and he is just an amazing person. Um, he explains how to have good relationships, uh, what not to do, why we behave the way we do, but it's also really useful in general, in terms of explaining why sometimes we behave like jerks and 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 what to do to um, have a more harmonious relationship with ourselves as well as well as with other people. So Terry Real is the one. Cool, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. I will look him up. I haven't heard of him, so I'm always uh, interested in finding out great uh, people to follow and find out more about. Now, there is one question I forgot to ask. Uh, we didn't cover it. And I think it's important as we segue into people finding out more about you. Now, you have a stage name for your music, uh, which is different to your personal name. First of all, what is it? And then why did you have a stage name? Yeah, so my stage name is Elisa Vulpest. Uh, the reason why I uh, decided to have this name well, there's, there's a few reasons. There's a kind of superficial reason, which is that everybody was mispronouncing my name. And I thought that, you know, they call me Eliza, Elisha, Elise, and I hated it. And I thought maybe if I just spell it different, people will get it. But no, uh, so that's a superficial <laughs> reason. Um, and then I, because my uh, father's name is Dinapoli, my mother's name is Vulpes. I thought, well, you know, it's not fair that I only have my father's name. I, you know, should have my mother's name too. 
so that's the that kind of uh, reasoning behind. But the other reason is that I I was um, I think at the time when I decided to do this, I was scared that if I used my real name, then my clients, because at the time I was doing a lot of therapy work, that my clients would think, oh God, like what? I don't want a therapist, uh, you know, it's crazy. You know, she goes, she's running around in weird costumes and, you know, and, and plays uh, instruments and plays the drums and on, on top of a hill, like I did festivals, you know, where I was playing drums on, on hills and, 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 strange you know makeup and whatnot you know so I thought I was scared that that was just not um done you know like that people would think I wasn't trustworthy or something and then I did this for many years and then I realized that it was just a silly silly thing um <laughs> now it's, it's a pain in the butt if you ask me because now I have to have two social medias I have to do websites this and that and the other and now I wish that I hadn't done it, but it's too late. So I have to keep it this way. It's too complicated to change. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we, we always make these decisions like that. It's, it's out of a fear isn't necessarily the best, but it's it's a learning journey, as as they all say. But it's it sounds really cool. I mean, both of your names do, but it sounds cool. So that's good. Okay, cool. If people want to find out more about you, work with you, uh, let's talk about that side of things first, the, the hypnotherapist and the coaching. Where should they go? Should, they should go to my website, which is um, elisadinapoli.com. And I actually have, uh, I wanted to offer your uh, listeners a free book if they wanted to download um, my book about performance anxiety. So uh, there, um, they just have to go, uh, type elisadinapoli.com slash speaking club. If you want to uh, listen to my music, you can go to elisavultas.com instead. And so those are the two places really um, where you'll find on one hand free music and on the other a free masterclass uh, on how to overcome stage fright. Cool. And are you on social media too, Elisa? Yes, but I'm, I'm not super... Um, Savvy. I mean, I I post about once a week on social media. So I'm there. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. But uh, I'm not super super uh, into social media. You know, I just I get why it's important, but it's just not me. <laughs> I understand. But people may want to reach out and say what you said made a big difference to me thank you very much so it's good to we'll put those links in the show notes as well as well as the links to both your websites and and the, the book the speaking club book offer that you're making so that's cool well listen thank you so much for coming on the show is there anything else that you feel you need to say in order to call this interview complete um it's one thing i, I always like to say is um remember to Focus on what you want in your life and also appreciate what you already have rather than focusing on the gap of what you don't have and where you want to be. You know, it, it's okay to have goals, but at the end of the day, it's about who you are and about what you want to create today and appreciating again, like I said, what you already have. That's a great message to leave us with. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much again. Good luck with everything that you're doing, the music and helping people with their performance anxiety. Uh, you're making a, a big difference. So thank you very much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you. It's been really lovely talking to you. There we are. 
Did you enjoy that interview? I know I did. I just, I loved her accent for a start. What a beautiful mix of all the different places that she'd been to. And Elisa is great. She's humble. She shared some fantastic tips. And there are a couple there that I haven't heard before, which is, is great. I love learning new things. And I'm so pleased that she's able to pursue her passion for music alongside helping other artists to grow too. So do go and find Elisa and check her out and her book and resources. And if something she said hit home for you, then do let her know. Well, that is it for this show. Before we part, I do want to ask you to do me a favor. If you do indeed get value from this show, would you take a couple of minutes to leave an honest rating or review for The Speaking Club? It will, I promise you, it'll just take two minutes. All you need to do is go to ratethispodcast.com slash TSC and it's very simple. Uh, if you'd pop over there and do that for me, I'll be really uh, grateful and appreciative of that. It means the world to me. Thank you for joining me again. I hope you have a great end of the week, weekend. I will see you next week. And in the meantime, you know what's coming. Go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. If you want to be more memorable and engaging when you talk, then you need to share more stories. Stories can help you better connect with your audience and their problems and get them leaning in more powerfully than anything else. And short, snackable stories are great to use in pitches, Facebook Lives, podcasts, videos, keynotes, webinars, blogs, in fact, everywhere to share your message and grow your business. The trouble is that finding your snackable stories and confidently sharing them can feel like a struggle. And that struggle can slow you down or stop you in your tracks. But that's where my free snackable story challenge comes in. Over the course of just five days, I'm going to give you resources, training and coaching to help you find your authentic personal stories to share and build your skills and confidence in sharing them. Not only that, but the challenge will guide you towards a tangible result at the end and assets for you to use going forward. The next challenge is starting soon. So to grab your space, go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge right now.